Trevor, and welcome to Catching Up on Cinema. If you aren't familiar with the program, Catching Up on Cinema is a film analysis podcast where we introduce each other to films, expand our cinematic horizons, and, in essence, catch up on our cinema. So it is the month of September 2022, which means it is, once again, Masterclass Month, uh, which essentially means it is our uh, fourth year anniversary of doing Catching Up on Cinema. Uh, you may have noticed, it's just me on the mic right now. And that is because my uh, regular podcasting partner, uh, Kyle, is not present. Uh, he decided to go out uh, for like a midnight run of Kentucky Fried Chicken, uh, and he brought his Mogwai pal along for the ride, and they decided to hop hop into the hot tub, and guess what? This morning, woke up with a gremlin problem. So he's got gremlins, they're, climb, they're climbing up the walls, they're shitting on the ceiling, they're on the roof. Shitting down the chimney. He's got gremlins coming out of his ear. So he's got gremlin problems, real life problems, whatever you want to call them. Point is, Kyle ain't here. Instead, I got Kyle's brother, Nick, uh, to help me with this review. I was like, Nick, how's it going, man? Thanks for stepping up. Yep, I am here. The questionably superior brother is back. And crazy enough, I had KFC this day. So I feel for him. Uh, Positive energy, definitely his way thoughts and prayers <laughs> so nick is uh, wishing him the best of luck in uh handling his bowel situation in doing battle with the kfc demons uh gr- that's that's putting aside the gremlin problem so it's like it's up to you to weigh which of those concerns is the greater problem at hand but um anyway uh this year's master class uh just so happens to be the x-men's franchise the x-men franchise uh, so, uh, we kind of arrived at this one because, uh, frankly, uh, we decided to take it a little bit easy. Uh, we had other masterclass projects that we were uh, much more interested in tackling, uh, but unfortunately, Gremlins. So, uh, instead, we're tackling something a little bit simpler, something that we don't have as much emotional attachment to. Um, and last week, we kicked things off by reviewing... Um, Brian Singer's X-Men from the year 2000. I say Brian Singer with a pause because, um, as mentioned uh, numerous times on last week's recording, uh, Brian Singer's a terrible person. And oh. uh, I, I just want to make it clear that we're all aware of that. Wait, I'm not we're aware. Not, we're not. <laughs> <laughs> that means you didn't listen to the fucking episode. You didn't listen to your brother talk I, about X-Mans. I didn't. I'm actually curious as to what he said, because I, I honestly don't know his thoughts about X-Men at all. Well, the, to be totally honest, uh, he didn't have a whole lot of thoughts about the X-Men. Okay, that's what his I emotional thought. Yeah. Attachment, yeah, his emotional attachment to the X-Men's uh, is not all that much, to be perfectly honest. Uh, which is, like I said, uh, why we decided to go that route. Because we had bounced around the idea of doing Lethal Weapon. Uh, we had bounced around the idea of doing Lord of the Rings, which is <sighs> absolutely one of the single most important film franchises like media franchises uh to your brother kyle um but because gremlins yeah um he decided you know we, we can't do lord of the rings if i'm not going to be available for every episode so here we are x-men um and folks at home if you're not aware um the whole reason we do something we call the master class which i know is a little you know <laughs> a little overwrought like we're not experts here we didn't go to film school but um Basically, the masterclass format is where we approach a, a major film franchise and talk about it in as much detail as we're capable of doing. Um, and, and initially, my plan was to do like 
every every entry in a franchise, um, but also every iteration. Like the Batman masterclass is probably my my proudest achievement in podcasting. Mm-hmm. I want to say, uh, just because it has so many distinct like phases like it has so many distinct periods to it that have a totally different look and feel to them uh, that makes it easy to tackle in chunks whereas something like this it's like you kind of go film by film um but the reason we do the master class every year as an annual tradition is because that's how we started things uh, kyle and i the very first recording we ever did was something called the predator master class uh, where it was kind of an experiment. We were kind of like feeling out the format and even our, like to be totally perfectly honest, kind of feeling out the friendship a little bit. Like it was probably the first time I hung out with him outside of work hours. Um, and we got together and I knew he had a, a hard on for Predator 2. Uh, I knew he knew a lot about Predator 1. So I was like, hey, Kyle, let's talk about Predator movies for two hours. And thus catching up on cinema was, cinema was born. Uh, so which... Now we're in our fourth year. Did you guys do a Prey uh, podcast? We did. Uh, we we did a Prey podcast. Uh, it was in. It was kind of like meant to be a, an addendum uh, to the master class of the Predator franchise that we'd already done. Um, we do that every once in a while. I call it housekeeping, mm-hmm. uh, where we revisit master classes past because you know time marches on and. Uh, Hollywood's all out of ideas, so they just keep revisiting like old franchises and right. rebirthing them and renewing yeah. them and whatnot. So, we we revisited the Alien franchise with a, a review of Covenant and uh, Prometheus as well, which you know does fit into that universe. Um, and funny enough, X Men is going to be one of those as well, uh, because uh, as far as I know, the franchise spans at least ten, maybe even twelve movies at this point. Um, so yeah. we are most certainly not going to be covering all of them uh, in this September, just the first four, uh, which is kind of funny because you can almost slice it right down the middle in terms of like the good ones <laughs> and the shit ones. Uh, so this is going to be the last week of good X-Men's films. Uh, so buckle up, folks. It's going to get loud. Yep, pretty um, much. Which brings us to today's review. Uh, so we covered Brian Singer's uh, X-Men from the year 2000 last week. Um, and Nick is here uh, to talk about X2, colon, yes. X-Men United uh, from the year 2003, which is the direct sequel to uh, the same director's uh, previous film. Now, um, I began last week's review uh, by asking a very simple question of Kyle. Um, and so I'm going to ask you the same thing, Nick. Uh, X-Men, uh, what is your connection to the X-Men? Um, well, we grew up watching this i would say spider-man cartoon and a little bit of the x-men cartoon around the same time i mean i was a wee lad so i, I probably had toys of both I, I distinctly remember one of the taller ones like bigger than a gi joe uh action figure of the classic wolverine yellow suit and then i know i had another toy after that but i mean we we didn't read any comics we, we didn't get a whole lot of chances to watch the show so it was honestly the, the first X-Men movie, apart from video games, where I got my first actual X-Men experience. Um, but that, I mean, I, I've played a lot of video games with X-Men in it, but I have no idea what's right, what's wrong, you know, necessarily if these characters are even true to the, their arcs in comics. So very, very just basic knowledge of the X-Men. 
I actually would argue that you don't have a very basic knowledge of X-Men. I'd say you have a slightly elevated knowledge of X-Men. Oh. Uh, okay. my, my girlfriend is an example of somebody who has oh. not uh, less than a basic knowledge of the X-Men. Literally everything she knows of them she learned from being a fan of Hugh Jackman and now oh. having seen the first two X-Men films. Uh, in your case, um, the reason I make that argument in your favor is uh, because of that cartoon. Um, the Haim Saban uh, Fox Kids Network yes. uh, X-Men cartoon from the mid-90s was an excellent primer <laughs> i hate when i do that excellent primer excellent. Uh, to all things x-men i mean they they tweaked a lot of things um from an aesthetic standpoint like the x-men represented in that cartoon were of like were contemporary versions of those characters mm-hmm. um but so many of the the most classic of x-men storylines like all the hits were in that cartoon even if they like mixed and matched some of the characters and they like toned down some of the more adult stuff going on, it was all there. And it like same thing goes for the Spider-Man cartoon from the same fucking network. Um, yeah. I want to say a lot of our contemporaries, what they know of Spider-Man, what they envision in their in their mind's eye as as to what like Spider-Man is supposed to be, probably comes from being raised on that cartoon. Yeah. Which is not, you know, a one-for-one recreation of the comics. Not at all. But it's a very solid rendition of Spider-Man that, that serves to introduce most of the trappings, tropes, and characters from Spider-Man's decades of history. Yeah, you know what? You're probably right. Because now that I think about it, even when I was a kid and Spider-Man 1, 2, and 3 came out, I'm like, oh, are they, do- are they doing this story? Are they doing the Harry Turns Hobgoblin story? Like, I knew what was going to come if they were going to do it. So that's actually a good point. Stuff gets in there and you don't even know. Yeah, I, I call it cultural osmosis. <laughs> like you just absorb it through your pores. Just somehow right. it's just Drink it's a it whistle, in. it's a wazzle, it's it's fairy dish. It just <laughs> it just sinks in there. It just gets in there and you don't even know how. And uh, you know, say what you will about those video games you mentioned, that none of them were very story heavy as far as I remember. But little tidbits here and there, you'd you'd glean some aspects of like characters and character relationships and whatnot just based on like very yeah. basic elements in those games. Like, uh, what are some of the games you played, Nick, from the X Men? There's isn't there one where it's Origins, where that's a team based of just the X Men or something like that. It's almost like a Marvel Ultimate Alliance, but it was just the X Men. That was one of them. I've played Marvel versus Capcom with just some of the fighting characters. Um, I tried to play what is I think it's called X-Men it's like Revenge Wolverine's Revenge or something where it starts off where he's in the base escaping do you know which one I'm talking about he's got like that visor over his head for the first chunk of the game yeah he has the weapon X visor which uh, is it's not seen in the movies until um, I think days of no apocalypse, apocalypse not yeah. seen until x-men yep. apocalypse but the weapon x project features prominently in this film um i want to say well funny enough there this movie does have tie-in video games one of which is called x2 wolverine's revenge oh. um 
I I have not played that one. However, I would not be surprised if that's what you're talking about. It was a PS2 era game, if that helps. Maybe. Um, But I do know the X-Men Origins Wolverine movie, which we will be covering this month. Oh, God. That is one of the shit X-Men films that we will be covering this month. Kyle's probably still going to be wrestling those Gremlins. He's going to find a way to make some more Gremlins by the time we get to X-Men Origins. That game, though, that's probably one of my favorite X-Men games. That that game. Oh, it's great. It's great. That game had no... Right, being that good. I'm like, this game is fantastic. I, I wish they would actually It's God remake. of War with Wolverine. Yeah. It, it really it was so much fun. I wish they would remake it or something because it, it is so much fun. Oh yeah. No, that game is a blast. Mm-hmm. And it has the gore factor that mm-hmm. and it, it basically is a God of War game on like the Xbox three sixty. It's great. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. But it may have been that one that you're thinking of, if I had to guess. Uh, that was from the three sixty era. Um as for myself, uh, like X-Men games that I grew up on, uh, the NES game from LJN is legendarily ass. Uh, that game's <laughs> terrible. I remember going over to a friend's house and being super fucking excited because X-Men, right. when I was a little kid, and uh, you try to play it, and it's just like, this is a nightmare. <laughs> like, everything about this is busted and wrong. <laughs> um, but thankfully, it got better from there. Like, the X-Men arcade game is legendary. Like and anybody in in my relative age range has the utmost respect for that game. I feel like I can picture it, right? It's got Cyclops, Beast, and then like it's like a side scroller. Uh... Uh, you're thinking of a different one than I'm about to mention. Oh, uh, so the X Men arcade game uh, featured character designs from a failed pilot for an X Men cartoon that would have preceded the Fox Kids one called okay. uh, Pride of the X Men. Uh, Wolverine is inexplicably Australian in that cartoon, by the way. Um, Great animation um, and great character models, but it it didn't become a show. It was a failed pilot, but the character designs were from like the late 80s era of of the X-Men. So Wolverine was in his Frank Miller Brown costume, my favorite. I don't like Um, it. I don't like it. Sorry. I like it. I like it without the pointy shoulders. I like the brown. I like the brown, Nick. I like the brown. Um, but the game also, the arcade game also had uh, Cyclops in his his skin tight blue outfit. Yeah, where he yeah. looks like a total dork. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I, I am a Cyclops defender. I like Cyclops. You need Cyclops. Everybody hates Cyclops. You need like Cyclops. Cyclops, regardless. Yeah, if you that's like... you need him on that wall. Yeah, <laughs> you need Cyclops on that wall. People don't respect that. He's a tool, but you need that you need tool. Him. You need that guy. Slim, you're needed, but. <laughs> It had him, it had Dazzler, it had my boy Colossus and my other boy Nightcrawler, and 80s yeah. Storm, Tiara Storm, uh, which came back at, at some point. Um, but the one that I think you were referencing is probably my favorite from that era, aside from the Capcom fighting games, uh-huh. uh, which would be X-Men Children of the Atom and Marvel vs. Capcom, X-Men vs. Street Fighter, all that, all that awesomeness. The one that was my personal favorite that I could play at home, or at a friend's house anyway, was uh, X-Men Mutant Apocalypse Okay. Um, on the SNES. Oh. Um, and it has some of the most metal fucking music uh, <laughs> from the era. Uh, it was a Capcom side-scrolling one-player kind of like beat-em-up um, that had Beast and Cyclops and Gambit and Cyclops, Psylocke, all the people you like. Um, it was great. I, I love that game. I think it was... Oh, uh, Nick... Nick is holding up a graphic of X-Men Legends, which, uh, yes, that was like the... PS2, I think. It, it was, it was I think, an earlier iteration of uh, 
Ultimate Alliance, basically. Yes. The gameplay was yes. the same, but with just X-Men. I think that's the one I, would, I think I was thinking of. I don't remember it being great, but I played it. So I, I do have a quick question before we get going. I, I know you're probably going to be mad at me. I have actually never played Marvel vs. Capcom 2. I've only played the third one. So you'll have to tell me, is it that is it that much better? Is Marvel vs. Capcom 2 <laughs> just like the best? Uh, some would argue it's one of the very best games ever made, if not one of the very best, if not the best fighting games ever made. Like, wow. it, it very well may be the best fighting game ever made. It, it's totally busted. Like, like that's a thing that's funny about fighting games is that people these days the kids, the youths, they like to they likes to complain. The youths like to complain about balance issues. Yeah. It's like motherfucker. <laughs> Don't nobody have time for balance. <laughs> it's like Marvel vs. Capcom Two is totally imbalanced. There is no, there is no rule. You know, like this game is busted to shit. But the people who are great at it can make masterpieces with their gameplay. Man, I feel like I don't know how I can play it, but I feel like there's a way I can. But I, I remember everybody, every one of my friends. We've never even played the old ones, but we played Marvel vs. Capcom Three, and we loved it. But uh, I might have to try it and play the second one at some point. I, well, I like it. Now that the... Uh, oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, I like it. If there's some brokenness, fine. Just make everybody broken. That makes it more fun. Yeah, it, it is that kind of game. There are good characters and shit characters. Like, 100%. Like, there's a reason why, like, the top tier teams are just, like, a handful of characters out of, like, a 50-plus character roster. Oh, wow. Um, it's a, it's a busted-ass game, but like I said, the people who are great at it can just do amazing things with it um it's a it has an incredibly high barrier of entry though uh so you 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 have to earn its respect oh my goodness to have fun with it nick oh, so it, you may be 20 years too late 23 <laughs> years too late in fact um, but you know it is a, it is an amazing game i'm not any good at it but i have a friend who regularly money matches people and who did go to evo a couple times uh he didn't like place or anything but point is i have a friend who can kick some serious ass on that game and it's it's a wonder to behold we need a soundboard clip of just berserker barrage just throughout the whole episode. <laughs> berserker barrage, berserker barrage. <laughs> drill claw tornado claw <laughs> <laughs> yeah i need to figure that out because kyle uh who is once again doing battle with gremlins in a hot watch right out now. yeah uh, not the best place to fight gremlins in by the way not a very poor choice it was um, a poor choice on his part really yeah he should have been smarter he is indisposed at the moment but he is normally the one in charge of the soundboard so don't expect any drops today folks but um we should probably get to the movie oh there's a movie so, oh okay all right yeah we're not here just to bullshit about video games we're here to talk about x-men 2 or x2 x2 x-men united um nick do you have a question <laughs> why are they why are they who's united i i was actually thinking about this who what, what's the united part who's being united oh it's because the quote good guys are working with the quote bad guys in this one ah okay i don't know why i never thought about that but you're right yeah until the very end yeah <laughs> i always found the marketing for this movie to be very confusing not because of the x-men united part but the x2 uh because they were very aggressive by not calling this x-men like oh. this movie even the opening title sequence just displays x2 as the title oh. it's 
bizarre. But, you know, it was the early 2000s. They probably thought it was hip and cool, you know. It's hip, it's cool, it's Noah's Arcade. It's all that shit. <laughs> it was definitely a different time, and you could tell. Even my wife was like, oh, man, because she, she was in there watching it with me. She's like, oh, man, that was so much cheese. I was like, well, I mean, this is a 20-year-old movie. <laughs> it was a different time. It really was. But I still think it I still think it holds up. I do too. Uh, I watched this with a girlfriend earlier today and funny enough different different era. Uh she she pointed out almost immediately bell bottoms. I was like, well, you know, Christina Aguilera was oh, in yeah. a, it, she was a she was in a bottle somewhere to trying to grant someone some wishes or some shit. So, you know, it was the time when everybody wore garbage bag material instead of pants. Um and yeah, bell bottoms were very much a thing. Um but yeah, this film, uh, as we mentioned last week, I'm not going. I'm going to try my best to skim over some details this time around because I know it got exhausting for Kyle, uh, who is once again doing battle with gremlins today. Um, this film is also directed by Brian Singer. The fact of the matter is, most of the X Men's films are directed by Brian Singer, who, as I previously disclosed is a known terrible human being i don't know that i need to know i need to know why I, i'll have to i guess google or something google knows all but he, he did bad things with young people okay all right <laughs> okay <laughs> yeah not nothing to laugh about but, but the, the point i'm trying to get across is that movies are the product of hundreds of people right working in right it's not it's His not name just maybe at the top of the credits he sits in the big chair but it's not just his movie, right? So I'm not I'm not like honoring the man by talking about this movie. I'm I'm talking about the movie itself. I'm talking about the work. So if it sounds like I'm I'm heaping too much praise or something, or I'm not speaking at the right tone, I'm sorry. I'm well aware. I've I've done plenty of research. I'm I'm aware of more than I'm I'm saying on the mic because I just don't I just don't have the energy to get into it. It's just not worth it. But. Point is, this film is also directed by Brian Singer. The next two will not be, hmm. um, for a variety of reasons. Um, but most of the X Men franchise is a product of Brian Singer. But this film is often regarded as kind of like the Empire Strikes Back of the franchise. It is yeah. thought of as being a superior sequel to the original, as well as potentially the best film in the x-men franchise and sounds like you mostly agree with that yeah honestly I, I was actually thinking about that today i'm like yeah man this still holds up and i was like this might be my favorite one and i was thinking wait what is my other favorite one what is the other what is the other one that i actually really because a lot of them are just kind of dumb fun i can even appreciate origins on a dumb fun level and i don't know if we're including logan but honestly we are hot take logan i, I didn't love it I didn't love it, um, but I really like Days of Future Past. Um, this one is probably is probably my favorite, and right up there with Days of Future Past is right there close with it. So yeah, I think it is probably the best, definitely of like the first five or six, seven of the movies we got. <laughs> I haven't done a ranking in my head, but uh, just in the here and now, I think I'll say that. Uh, top three are probably it in no order, right. in no specific order. But top three would probably be this one, Logan, and probably First Class. Really? Just because that that movie has an energy to it that is well appreciated. Um, some very strong performances from the the two leads from Fastbender. Yes. Yeah. Um, in particular, um, 
But Days of Future Past is is fun. Although, um, did you watch the Rogue cut of the film? I did not. No, I didn't. Uh, you might want to take a look at that one. Like like whenever it is we get around to it, you might want to do a watch along with us because uh, I think it's the better version of the film. Really? I, I, that's what I was, I've yeah. heard. That I've heard it, but I I don't know if it's like part of it. Is it is it like part of the Blu-ray set or whatever? It's just on there. I think uh, I think the 4K comes standard with it, but when it came out on Blu-ray, it was it was one of those Fox Studios double dips where they put out the standard version, and then like six months later or something, they put out the Rogue cut. Poor, poor Rogue. Um, and then there was the the Wolverine situation where they had the R-rated cut of the film uh, only yeah. available in the super duper Best Buy special edition uh, box set. Of course, yeah. And they just they're just coming for your money they're just coming for your wallet <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah this film uh once again as i said reunites the director um with some of the same writers not all of them uh the the i i went on a little sh- like rant uh, last time around talking about the first x-men film there was a lot of controversy as to who wrote that fucking film oh. uh, because no one a lot of really famous people touched that script but they all had their names removed from it. And I'm glad I have you on the mic, Nick, because you can appreciate this on levels that Kyle cannot. Um, the person who got the official screenplay credit for the first X-Men was one David Hayter, uh, who serves as the English-speaking voice of one... Snake! Call it Snake. <laughs> Snake. This is Snake. <laughs> yeah, this is Snake. That's crazy. He, he wrote the screenplay. So He was an assistant to the director and somehow he wrote a draft of the script that got pushed through as the final version there's a lot of people disputing that on online and whatnot but it's never been like taken to court or anything and this film also co-written by solid snake (laughs) see now i'm gonna say it again if i had the soundboard i i just i would have played something completely different liquid it just would have been (laughs) liquid (laughs) I would have probably just went, damn, damn, damn. <laughs> <laughs> or just kept playing the codec ring over and over again. A surveillance camera? <laughs> everything is a question. Everything. <laughs> <laughs> See, everything has an upward intonation. Yeah. <laughs> we need to get a fix on who they are. <laughs> That's um, actually really yeah, good. so this film... Uh, it's practice. Okay, Trust me. Okay. I take a lot of showers, man. I take a lot of showers. <laughs> I shower with Optimus Prime and Solid Snake on the regular. Man doesn't sing. He's doing. <laughs> I'm not. Ch- I'm not joking, Nick. That's awesome. One does not get that good at Solid Snake without taking a lot of showers. Um, but yeah, David Hayter uh, came back and wrote. Uh, he co-wrote the script for this one. Um, but in terms of like crew members uh probably the biggest one that i would like to single out uh, before we get started is john ottman um who michael kamen served as the composer for the first x-men film and none of the others um and i do believe he passed away shortly after that first film i could be totally wrong on that but i I do know he is deceased which is unfortunate because i really do love his music um this film though was composed by john ottman uh, who is a regular collaborator with this director brian singer um, and he also holds the distinction of being like a multi-tool uh, in the film industry that I'm shocked there aren't more of, honestly. Okay. Uh, he is a composer and an editor, 
which in my mind seems like a wonderful combination because in terms of like timing like like plotting out the timing of your music and also having the skill set of knowing how to cut a film together and mm-hmm. also working as the editor for the film I, I think that would be a beautiful asset as like in terms of your skill set but it's very rare as far as i know um weird part about john Ottman is like i'm heaping him with like with praise for his skill set but in terms of like memorable scores of his i can't really point to many like his sound just does not work for me and and if i'm being 100 percent honest this is not something i say very often especially with blockbuster films there are certain like musical motifs in this movie that i straight up disagree with oh <laughs> i disagree <laughs> yeah i i straight up objected to some of the instrumentation and just like i was like i don't like this music i don't think this fits the scene which do you have like a particular part like i'm trying to think in my mind like if something stood out to me where i'm like oh that, that's not good um in particular when they're raiding the xavier the mansion the yeah. gifted ch- youngsters yeah like the mansion raid the music that plays there feels like it it has the wrong tone where it's it's meant to sound like dreadful in some way but it's it's a military action sequence so it needs to have like a cadence to it mm. you know you like you've seen the rock correct uh with um uh james bond sean connery yes yes well, I mean, every Newgrounds video that was put out in the early 2000s would rip off music from The Rock, and it just has that, like, hard-driving, pounding, you know, it has a cadence, a momentum to it that matches very well with men's with men with rifles barreling down hallways and beating the fuck out of kids. No, it's funny, you did that, and then I'm picturing, like, a bunch of films in my mind, like Michael Bay and all those, where it's just, just random people holding holding guns or moving in like humvees or jeeps or something yeah i can picture it in my mind you see what i mean yeah that, like that's that's I, what i would have expected for that sequence but instead we just have this droning like duh, 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 duh. it's like okay oh. like I, I feel bad that kids are getting beat the fuck up by these military <laughs> dudes but at the same time it's like this is a you're going to have some action in your action movie yes <laughs> 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 yeah, I don't have a I don't have a lens I can blow on right now. I respect my laptop too much to do that, Nick. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, there's there's a couple of cues in the movie, a couple of motifs. That I was just like, I just don't like this music. Hmm. Like, like his his X Men theme is phenomenal. The credits intro. Yes. Yeah. It, it it's perfect. Like, like, yeah. I don't, yeah. I don't I don't use that word lightly. Um, but it works very, very beautifully for this franchise. And there's a reason that he recycles it for every film he worked on for the X-Men films. Right. Because it, it fucking works. Like, it feels right. Um, but beyond that, I don't know, man. Like, as a composer, I think, like, the like the most noteworthy movie in terms of music. Like, he's worked on a lot of fantastic films, but I can't, I can't remember music from them. Like... Uh, I have no mouth and I must scream. Uh, an old PC game from the '90s is is the score that actually I think I know best of his. Um, but I don't know what it is about the man. There's just something unmemorable about his scores for me. I I don't know of any others. I was looking at the movies that he's like he's been involved involved with, and I can't really I can't find anything that that jumps out at me where I know the music. Oh, he did Superman Returns. He did, although remember that's work that's using 
John Williams's score oh. from the '70s Superman films as a foundation, like John Williams's most iconic theme, like not most iconic. I mean, Star Wars is probably the most iconic from his unbelievably dense like discography. But yeah, the Superman theme is tremendous. It's it's beautiful. I mean, there's a reason they stuck with that theme for that movie, which was also directed by Brian Singer. By the I way, did not know that. Which is why. <laughs> Yeah, which is why uh, Cyclops isn't in X-Men 3 very much, and also why the director wasn't making X-Men 3, is because he had an opportunity to do Superman, and he's like, fuck it, I'm doing Superman. <laughs> <laughs> huh. I'm bringing Cyclops with me, <laughs> fuck y'all. <laughs> uh, speaking of Cyclops, uh, characters, Nick. Uh, so something that we did last week was just like spotlight some of the actors and some of the characters in the film before we dove into it. Um, we covered some of the the heavy hitters, but like in terms of like the returning cast members, do you have any major players that you have any specific comments about, like like Cyclops or Wolverine or Jean Grey, Storm, any of those folks? No, honestly, I I like all of them. Um, no, I mean. I like Hugh Jackman as Wolverine. I think he's. I think he does a great job. I mean, I, I really. It's hard to picture anybody else as him. Cyclops. I feel like the actor. I, I know I've seen him in other things. I just can't remember his name. But I feel like he fits that bill pretty well. Just guy who's kind of dorky, but also you, you need that guy. So he fits that pretty perfectly. Honestly, I feel like they could have done more with Storm Halle Berry. I feel like she's just kind of like there. Um, and then was it Famke Jansen? Is that her name? Yeah, I like I like her. I like Jean Grey. We all like. Her. <laughs> uh, Rogue. I, I honestly, I like the character of Rogue. It's just this actress. I'm not like, I'm not like. Oh, she's great. <laughs> <laughs> but I do like the character of Rogue. But other than that, I was excited to see Nightcrawler in this. I, honestly, I I love the beginning of this movie, the white house attack. I, I love the whole introduction to nightcrawler. Um, uh, something I do want to talk about later though is, is costumes for sure. I don't know if you guys talked about it in X-Men one. We did not, but I'm, I'm really excited to talk about that. Cause part of the masterclass format that, uh, as I said, is something I like to do is talk. I, I'm obsessed with, uh, iterations. I, I love seeing, I don't get bored of seeing the same idea tried again like, oh no I, yeah I me like either spotting the differences and and seeing what people's new approaches yeah no they're different styles it's, different tastes it's a weird yeah. thing that i'm yeah I, it's something i'm really into and um in particular like i said when we were talking about batman i found it really interesting to just talk about like the costuming and and the different actors interpretations yeah. of the same character um so yeah did you want to talk about costuming right out the gate I know like the tone of the movie is a little bit it's you know it's early 2000s so the tone of the movie is just kind of like and so you can't really have like these bombastic you know bright colors or but I just feel like nobody has any character and there's so much character in the costumes themselves and I feel like here it's just like everybody gets your standard issue whatever the heck this is um now when i was like 10 9 or 10 when the x-men one came out i definitely had the toys and i played with them but i just thought i'm like man i wish that they would have done the something i don't know what they could have done though yeah i actually now that i think about we did talk about the costuming a little bit um mostly the point that you brought up about like the 
bright and colorful, like blue and yellow color scheme yeah. of the original class of X-Men from the 60s, the, the Jack Kirby and, and Stan Lee class of X-Men. You're right. Like, I think in the year 2000, that would have been considered garish yeah. and just too much. Right. You know, it would have been considered silly in a post-Matrix era, yeah. essentially. Oh, gosh, yeah. Um, where it's like, we, we aren't doing that. Right. We're <laughs> doing the leather shit. We're doing black we're cool. leather people can't move. <laughs> yeah, we're edgy. We're cool. <laughs> With a K. <laughs> um, but yeah, you're absolutely right on that point. And the same aesthetic carries through this first like stanza in the x-men franchise like first class would serve as like a new beginning for the x-men series where they actually would embrace the yellow uh and and right. blue costuming like they actually would go that route um but yeah it's funny being a 90s kid uh and growing up with the jim lee version of all the x-men characters with the most audacious and and gaudy costuming you could ever imagine <laughs> makes no sense but it's Everything great <laughs> pointy yeah shoulder pads like that make you six feet fucking wide when you're only three feet wide uh even wolverine's fucking boots like since his first appearance they're fucking v's like they physically they make no goddamn sense uh, his mask there's a reason it has yet to appear on film because it makes no goddamn sense. Right. Um, actually, they did build a physical prop for the the Wolverine film. Um, oh. That there there are photos of it, and it looks fantastic. Oh, I gotta look it up. It looks so great, but I don't think there's a single photo of Hugh Jackman wearing it. It was it was just seen in like a display case or something. Um, but yeah, uh, the costuming uh, for for this phase of the X Men films is just black leather with um, piping essentially. Like, they have patterns cut into the leather to signify, like, whose uniform it is. Like, in Wolverine's case, he has orange highlights with kind of the the blade-shaped divots cut into Mm -hmm. it on his shoulders and on his midsection. Just like the original, like, the actual Wolverine costume. Only difference is it's all black. It covers every inch of him from the neck down. um, And the only color to it are just, like, these thin piping strips of orange. And same goes for pretty much all the other cast members, uh, which is a shame. Um, but thankfully, you do get some other characters who have some more audacious costuming, such as your boy Nightcrawler, yeah. uh, who they, they did go out of their way. They kind of went above and beyond to like make Nightcrawler work, I guess. Um, they they even went so far as to like add a, a weird like paint drop a, a glossy texture uh, to his, his jacket, which... I don't know if I like it, but it's eye catching to say the least. I'm trying to picture it in my I'm trying to picture it in, in the movie and I can't. Uh, if you look up still images of, of him, you'll you'll see what I'm okay, talking about. Okay. It's basically just these these droplets of like raised glossy surfacing on his on his jacket. And then of course the scarification he has all over him is is a detail that was never present in the comics or anything, but it's it's a nice detail that works here. Okay, um, yeah, I got it, I got it. Yep, I see it. <laughs> yeah. Um, but in terms of cast, uh, I'll just go ahead and say that everybody who was great before continues to be great here. Uh, so I'm just going to gloss over that. I, I will point out that I think this was officially when the era of the Jackman began, uh, because Hugh Jackman was a late arrival to the original X-Men production. Um, and in fact, it's it's known that he was not in as good of shape uh, for some, for a large portion of filming. Mm-hmm. Like there's certain like 
spotlight sequences where he, they they hit him with that ab light and like he really hit the gym hard like late in production like like for instance his introduction in the film was after he had had a lot of time to like bulk up and look his best oh wow uh, so the the, the fight yeah. cage in the first x-men film was filmed later after he got in better shape but like there's some of those scenes where he's running around the x-mansion where it's just like i mean he's he's buff but i, I you know, I, I, I could take him if I had a steel chair or something, <laughs> if I got the drop on him. <laughs> but in this film, uh, this is where he's he's starting to get big and it's going to get it's going to get ludicrous later. <laughs> like by the time oh, we get yeah. to X-Men Origins and Days of Future Past he's, and stuff, yeah. uh, he's, he's got juice coming out. Of his <laughs> he's, just... like, he's got he's he's got the juice coming out of his eye. Holes. He's too juiced. Um, we can't this... win. <laughs> He's gonna, you're gonna drown in that juice. <laughs> Don't go into deep water with the Jackman. You'll drown in the juice. <laughs> uh, but in this film is when he started to get real, real big, and it just so happens that this was, I think, filmed around the time he was also making Van Helsing. Um, oh. In fact, some of his hair appliances uh, in this film are botched because of filming van helsing like he has tall hair in certain sequences in this film i I feel like sometimes actually i don't know if his hair is the same in any scene i feel like it's different every time i'm like it looks different there or he looks different there spike i I don't know if that's just me but i feel like it looked different every time i saw him on screen you're not wrong it it does his hair his hairline in particular is just like It's like sometimes he's Goku, sometimes he's Vegeta. He's all over the place. Um, but yeah, there are certain sequences, most notably his first appearance in this film. And yes, I think his last appearance where his hair is unbelievably tall. And it's because he he's I think he still has extensions. He like came he came in from Van Helsing. Oh, OK. And he's he has extensions on top of a wig. So like, it's jarring. The first scene of this scene. movie is jarring. I'm like, well, what's what's going on? <laughs> We're, I think that's what I think that's what the girlfriend said. Whoa, tall hair. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when he first showed yes. up in this movie. Um, but yeah, this is the beginning of the jacked man of uh, of that era of Hugh Jackman's career. But um, the other person that I'll just point out for one second is somebody you said you you had hoped would have more to do and i personally wish they had less to do oh really and that is halle berry as storm uh because i have a theory that she was maybe throwing her weight around on the set a little bit because she had won an oscar uh, for best actress for monsters ball around the around the time they were making this film um and if you notice like if you look up any posters for this movie You'll find that her face is featured big as life and twice as ugly right next to Hugh Jackman. Yeah, but do you think she did that or do you think they did that? Because they're like, well, she let's put her on the front. I think it's neither. If I had to guess, it's probably her agent. Um, I, I, don't, I haven't heard any reports of her being a terror on the set or anything. But if I had to guess, her agent probably pushed to get her some extra publicity and probably a bigger paycheck as well. Uh, but there's just weird instances in this movie and in particular the next movie uh the last stand where unwarranted storm kind of like like in particular when they're saving professor x at the end of this one it's like storm <laughs> like like storm has to go in there like the per the person who has been shown to have no personal connection to professor x 
Yeah, and honestly, <laughs> and and who has powers that are totally inappropriate for the task at hand. <laughs> it's funny you say that because I was talking to my wife today. I'm like, you know, on paper, Storm's powers sound great, but I'm just trying to think: is it is are they really that great? Like, how often are you going to be like? Yeah, let me just call down some thunderstorms right now. Or we really need we really we really need some snow. We really need snow right here. Like what are you going to use them? I I I think the teleporting wins. I mean, obviously the he- healing is good, but I mean, teleporting is just too much fun. Yeah, it's funny actually. Kyle said very much the same thing as your wife. Oh, really? He, he went on a little bit of a rant last week, like, like <laughs> talking about how, how shitty he thought Storm was. And I didn't push back. I was like, "You're not. I mean, you're not wrong." But I did. I did throw out there just to, if there are any comic book fans out there, I'm, I just tossed out there that's like, well, you know, he she is kind of supposed to be like one of the most, like one of the more powerful X Men. Yeah, I mean, technically, <laughs> she, I mean, she can do stuff like that. I guess she can like push people with wind. And I guess lightning strike them, but it's just like, yeah, I, I guess it's sel- it's seldom the right tool set for the. Yes, occasion. I guess that's a good way to say it. Yes, I mean maybe if you're like if you're working at the school and, and like Santa Claus is coming to town and you want to have a white Christmas <laughs> on the campus or something, she'd be the gal to call. Although. Iceman could do the same thing. I'm, say, I'm saying like faster and more efficient. Like I can picture them. Oh, we, we've got a goon here, guys. What do we do? And Storm's like, let me throw a lightning bolt through his chest. It's like, no, well, maybe we could just like knock him out or something. We don't have to like, <laughs> well, let me call down some rain. Okay. Uh, if you want it to rain, sure. But I mean, it's not going to help. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you and your brother are on the same page when it comes to Storm, I guess. <laughs> um, but yeah, I just wanted to toss that out there about inappropriate storm where it's just like i feel like there's some rejiggering going on in on the like in, from a writing standpoint because i don't know if we needed storm here and now. no no you say that and i was this is the only time i actually thought about too that scene i'm like wait a second this whole scene humans are being killed they're dying like they're being i don't know what what's happening to them but they're being killed and she's just in there. What are we gonna do? Who are you? What's going on? I guess I'll just make it cold in here. Like they are taking so much time. But you're... yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah, yeah. It sounds like we're on the same page there. But um, as far as uh, new characters go, um, probably the the most prominent among them uh, is Brian Cox as William Stryker. Uh, he's kind of the chief antagonist for the film he's so good um i thought he was fantastic yeah, he, he really brian is. cox brian cox is wonderful is. like I, it makes me happy to know that at even at his advanced age he's still kind of on top of the world i haven't watched a single frame of it but that uh succession show okay. uh, as far as i understand is like one of the most popular fucking things on television oh, wow. for fuck's sake they recruited him to do the ba 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 for the mcdonald's oh, yeah. jingle yeah I, yep and and he went from you know doing these kinds of movies and like Manhunter back in the eighties for Michael Mann, uh, to being on one of the most popular television shows and the McDonald's guy, uh, which makes me happy because I love Brian Cox. I think he's great. And it's actually kind of funny. He had a streak of like playing a shady CIA type yeah, around this yeah. time. <laughs> yeah, he was in yeah. the Born Supremacy as a shady spy guy. Uh, he's in this as a shady military yeah, scientist. Yeah. And then, if memory serves, he's in the Glimmer Man of the Steven Seagal film, where he has the credit ca- the credit card knife. Oh, 
Uh, he's swimming in a pool being a CIA shady guy. Of course. Uh, so he's a master at this. And and also uh, the southern accent uh, he puts on here. There's something about uh, UK actors uh, putting on that southern twang. <laughs> that just like, it, it, I don't know, it's just something about it. It, it just like comes more naturally i think like it's 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 easier to do that like to slide sideways into a southern accent than it is to do like a a flattened out pacific northwestern accent uh, like i have yeah. no I, I agree yeah but uh, uh but he's fantastic in this but the the one thing that i will toss out there again for the comic book people is that this character is uh kind of like a frankenstein's monster of a character oh. in terms of reference material because this character, William Stryker, actually goes on to be, like, super integral uh, to the X-Men films. This character's in, like, six of these no. movies. Yeah, you're right. And he's played by, like, three different actors at least. Maybe even four or five. I don't know. But he's played by, like, oh, three, yeah. char- three actors at least. He's in, like, a half dozen of these fucking movies. Um, but this character is not really in the comics. Like, this character is from a story called God god loves man kills which is about a religious zealot uh who has has it has it out for a, he has a hate on uh for mutants um as far as i know he's not affiliated with the military nor is he affiliated with the weapon x program so his origin doesn't connect to wolverines at all um so they took the name and they kind of like transposed it onto the weapon x people and then and then kind of borrowed some of the william striker uh, hatred towards mutants angle and and they like i said he's like a frankenstein's monster of a character okay. uh, that shares influences across multiple x-men villains uh, so just tossing that out there for the comic book people um and then uh probably the biggest one is a uh, nightcrawler who we've also we've both kind of gushed yeah, about yeah. a little bit alan cumming Everybody loves Alan yes. Cumming, a prolific stage and film actor. I am invincible! Uh, <laughs> Boris Krushenko from uh, GoldenEye. Uh, any 90s kid who grew, grew up on James Bond would know that reference. But um, Alan Cumming is great in everything. Um, and he was brilliantly cast uh, for, for Kurt Wagner, for uh, Nightcrawler, um, which was really important uh, because Nightcrawler's always been a fan favorite. And actually, like, he and Colossus, who are both in this film, actually, uh, probably my favorite X Men. Like always have been. Like, do you have a favorite X Men? I mean, I'll be honest. I I really do like Wolverine. I know everybody loves Wolverine, but I, I just like him. They do. Just for the fact, I feel like he is kind of like that sad soldier, and he's just got so much history and memories, and he can't ever really connect to anybody. I, I just like that kind of thing. But I really do like Nightcrawler. Colossus, not so much. But my wife, we were watching it. She's like, I really like Colossus. I wish he was in this more. Or even in the other ones. I'm like, yeah, you and probably a lot of other people. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but. <laughs> just say that we were, much. We were watching. <laughs> Colossus works for a lot of we people. We were watching this and she goes, is that Jubilee? And I'm like, why do we know who Jubilee is? <laughs> I'm, it's because of that cartoon. I, it must be. That's what I'm saying. It's like, why do we know this? No, it, it, I'm, that's why I preface things by saying you probably know more about the X-Men than you yeah. think you do because that's why you know when Storm says exactly one time in this movie to a to an Asian woman who is not wearing a yellow raincoat, <laughs> she says Jubilee and you're like, that that's a name I've not heard since. 
Uh, but yeah, it's because of that fucking cartoon. And what's really funny about that cartoon is that, as I said, they mixed and matched a lot of like characters and stories for the making of that cartoon to make it more contemporary. Mm-hmm. The characterization of Jubilee in that show is basically Shadow Cat, who is in all three of the first X-Men films, but not given a speaking role until Elliot Page plays them in the third film. Oh, that's her name? Shadowcat? Uh, but yeah. Uh Kitty, Kitty Pryde. Okay, there we go. Yeah. Shadowcat. I'm like um the 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 space, like kind of the uh the new arrival to the X Men school. Yeah. Um Sh- Shadowcat was that character in in that era of the comics. It's just in the nineties Jubilee was the new hotness. So we're just going to use Jubilee because she's, you know, the the mall babe that likes chili dogs Darn or whatever. I'm, <laughs> chili fries. I'm the juggernaut, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> One of the earliest and greatest of memes. <laughs> it found its way into that third movie. That was embarrassing. Oh, yeah. It's like, you, you, you put a fucking early meme into your fucking <laughs> X-Men movie. Goddamn. <laughs> and you didn't pay those people anything to steal their idea. Way to go. And X-Men 3. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah, we'll get there next week. But yeah, Nightcrawler is fantastic in this. Kind of everything about it uh, is is done justice. Like, his power set is made to look maybe even cooler than it ever was in the comics. Uh, his attitude, uh, his, his religious zealotry is played up considerably in this movie. He, I think he had that in the comics, but it wasn't as big of a deal. Um, but his his just general demeanor is correct because in the comics he was he was always kind of the guy who had a smile when everybody else was down where he'd he'd always look on the bright side and and also he was kind of a ladies man too like yeah nightcrawler would get it wet all the time in the comics and this movie you can see he's like trying to make it work but they're like they keep shutting him down because they're busy if everybody wasn't so busy nightcrawler would be getting busy but everybody's really busy in this movie but Point is, I thought that they did a great job with Nightcrawler, and uh, Daniel Cudmore is, I believe, six fucking eight, and he was like twenty one when they made this movie. Uh, he plays Colossus oh. in this. As I said, Colossus works for a lot of people, most people, in fact. My girlfriend also was like, <laughs> "Like, who's that? Why isn't he in more of the movie?" In her case, though, I think it was mostly because he was good to the kids. Yes, yes, like, that's why. Like, he saved all the kids, yes. and she she liked that. It helps that he's six eight with abs. Yeah, <laughs> we need more of him. We need more of his character in the movie. <laughs> I need to know more about the giant metal man. <laughs> Um, yeah, he is in his boxer shorts pretty much the entirety of his role. In his like, he, in this film, he yes. Appear, he's, he's clothed, he's in like the background of two scenes with a shirt on, but mostly he's there for eye candy. I don't know, um, whatever, I don't even know what happens to him, because they don't get captured, right? Oh, he shows up at the end. Does he? Uh, he escapes with the kids from the mansion, and then he's in one of the last scenes with Professor X. Oh, that's right. The, yeah, the, the, at the small school. classroom yeah. setting. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Colossus is a fantastic character. He's one of my very favorite X Men. Always has been. Usually my go-to for the arcade game, especially because his special button makes him go, <laughs> <laughs> which is apparently um, there's a a video game com- uh, convention. Uh, in Maryland, called a Magfest. Oh, that apparently there's a call and response where everybody goes, <laughs> That's <laughs> from across the hall. 
That's some next level stuff. I've never right been, where... but you know, you better believe I would do it. <laughs> <laughs> I would set it off and respond to it. <laughs> um, but where do we go from here, Nick? Do you want to go front to back on this, or do you just want to like just kick some? Do you want a Chris Farley show this? Just talk about some highlights. Honestly, yeah, because like I was going through this movie and I'm like, I don't even know what we could talk about. There's some like there's. I don't know if it makes sense to go all the way through it, but I mean, I'd love to be, I love the beginning. I'll I'll let you, I'll let you dictate. Okay. I did that with Kyle last week. It worked really well. So instead of going beat for beat for beat for beat, just take us where you want and I'll play off of you. Well, I can at least, I can, I can spin tangents out of anything. (laughs) I mean, I already talked about the video games and the costumes. I feel like the parts that stick out to me are the, obviously the white house attack. Yes. Uh, the the mansion, the X Men mansion, um, the uh, Bobby's house, Bobby's world, and then kind of the end. I mean, honestly, <laughs> uh, well, let's talk about that White House attack because it is the opening of the film after the uh, crazy CGI title sequence that was the style at the time. Yes, um, Spider Man very much guilty of the same fucking deal. Uh, would come out between the release of the first X-Men film and this film. Um, the White House attack is phenomenal. It is. Um, I love everything it. Everything from the staging of it, it's it's beautifully storyboarded. Like, they had a plan going into this, and even by, even by 2022 standards, like, there's very little jank to be found here. Like, no. everything is rendered really, really solidly. I was actually still surprised at the very end, the very last thing he does before he grabs the president is does like a little roll over the desk over those two guys, which they should be knocked out, but they were. But I'm like, I don't I didn't I didn't even know that I was about to watch that. Like it was just it was so well done, I thought, where I'm like, dang, they did a really good job with the whole thing. Yeah, when it when it comes to like superhero movies and, and like superpower focused action choreography, this is a a beautiful example of doing it right where you you sit down and you work with your stunt crew and your and your visual effects artists and you just ask questions back and forth about so we have a guy who can do this what can we do to make that look like the coolest fucking thing ever and uh, like i said like this may at the time may have been like the most amazing rendering of nightcrawler's abilities because like in still form, in in comic book form, you know, bamfing around, teleporting mm-hmm. around, and like making a, a purple dust cloud appear, looks cool and all. But when you're reading a comic book panel to panel, you don't get the speed. Mm-hmm. Like you, you don't get the rapid fire. Like he's here, he's there, he's everywhere. Kind of kind of effect where it's just like, hang on, this one guy is beating the fuck out of the entire White House <laughs> and yeah. doing it effortlessly yeah. and doing acrobatics at the same time. It's like, yes, because he can do that. <laughs> because he can just, if you point a gun at him, he can decide, <laughs> yeah, I don't want to be there anymore and I'm above you now. <laughs> and, oh, I think I'm going to do a kickflip off the wall. Sure, why the fuck not? And it's like, they really did a brilliant job of working with everybody and, and coming up with good ideas to showcase exactly what you could do if you had that ability if you could just be in a different place the second you think of being there yeah i was just gonna say this movie x-men 2 which i was gonna tell you we actually got this movie in an auction my dad works at an auction on uh, like saturdays and it was a video store like a dvd that went out of business 
And so it was like you would auction be like, okay, I'll pay, you know, five bucks. And then you paid five bucks and you could get whatever you wanted, but they would multiply that times like five. So I remember we got this as part of like our, I don't know if we got like a big old box, but we got this. So it was just in like a blank, like white uh, case from this video store. We watched the crap out of this in our PlayStation 2 with the two towers. Like these were just back to back to back to back. And I, I remember still watching that scene in the PS2, just like, wow, this is so great. So, no, I, I love it. I love the beginning. Oh yeah, it, it's a it's a wonderful opening, and it's kind of neat too because like the the first film opens with a, a narration. This one does as well. But the first film, the major difference between these two is that the first one has a lot of things that it, it has to do in order to start the franchise where it's like it has to explain the rules of the world it has to talk to the people in the cheap seats who don't who didn't watch the x-men cartoon and stuff it has to speak to them like they're five-year-olds and make sure that everybody's on the same page they have to do the space balls thing where rick moranis looks into your soul and says everybody got that (laughs) (laughs) we ain't found shit (laughs) (laughs) i mean you that's a sign that you're a poor filmmaker if that's what the test audiences say (laughs) when it comes to like could they keep up with your story but this film isn't hamstrung by having that problem Um, And actually, having watched these movies back-to-back, like a week apart, as opposed to three years apart, um, they work together really well, where it feels like, it feels like they came, like they were shot concurrently or something, because the the writing ties the two films together so solidly. Um, There's a lot of really, really awesome callbacks and a lot of really quick easy ways to get the audience up to speed who may or may not have even seen that first film yeah um but as a pair it's like they it feels like a a more complete thought than just the film like the first film itself so like the two of them almost feel like one long movie if you ask me no i mean uh, case in point we were watching it and uh, senator kelly who's mystique uh like she has a conversation with what's his face striker and then the eyes flash yellow. And she's like, oh, that's right. That's Mystique. So it's just like immediately, it's like, yep, there you go. Remember? Remember what happened? Here we go. We're, we're, we're moving along. So, yeah. There's a lot of that in this movie where where they they name drop something or they, they put a detail out there and they don't talk about it at length. They just, like, give you just enough information to, un- to remember or understand what you need to get to the next scene. Yep. And just that one little flash of light Boom. in the yep. eyes. Is all you needed, like, because remember, this movie came out three years after that first movie. So if you hadn't seen it since it came out in theaters, you may have forgotten that. But it's like, oh, that guy is actually Mystique. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, okay, now I know. Um, but uh, one character that we haven't talked about much um, is uh, Jean Grey, uh, Famke Jansen. She's great. Yes. Uh, we did mention that. Um, what did you think of how they handled her character in this one? Because she has, like, a. a huge story arc she doesn't have the most screen time but they make some huge moves with her in this in this film so here's the thing i don't know anything about Jean gray phoenix i remember seeing a comic panel like just taken out of whatever comic it was in you know a cyclops talking to somebody else saying what is this like the eighth time you've buried her and i'm thinking man have they really have they done this that many times so that's i just i always think of that and i'm like 
I mean, is this just like a, does she come back? Is she, is she only Jean Grey for like a portion and then she's just Phoenix for the rest of it? Or I, I really don't know how it works. So I, I did like the way they handled it in this movie. I think they set it up for the third one really well. How I, now did the third one deliver that? That's another story, but they hyped it up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, Jean Grey has died in the comics minimum three times as far as I know. Um, I I don't read them anymore, but uh, just in the, the 15 years or so that I was reading X-Men comics, yeah, she she died a couple times. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, she's a very complicated character. And uh, you mentioned the Phoenix, uh, who is never mentioned in this film, uh, but is visually represented. Yes multiple represented or teased multiple times in the film especially the closing shot right, yeah um plays into the next film did not deliver but <laughs> i think that was i think that was a huge mistake because in in watching the girlfriend's reaction and gauging my own to when gene gray bites the dust in this film it works yeah like, it, it's an emotionally effective moment. yes it is um but the phoenix is uh that's a whole nother can of worms because the girlfriend was like panicking she was like what the fuck is that what is going on what is that why is there a why is mothra in the lake <laughs> fire mothra <laughs> i had to like turn the movie off and say okay so this is thing called the phoenix and it's really really complicated and it was a really, really dumb idea to try to adapt a film because guess what, motherfucker? You've tried it twice yeah. and they have yet to do it right. right. It, <laughs> and I don't think they ever will because it's not meant for film. I think like, you're the right. The Phoenix is just, it's just too big. It's just too complicated. But it's also one of the X-Men's most single, most iconic stories. Like you think X-Men, you think Dark Phoenix Saga. Right. There's a reason there is a X-Men film card called Dark Phoenix because everybody thinks of that because that's what they know. And even on that cartoon, they did the Phoenix. It took like many episodes to tell the whole story because that's what it takes yeah. because it's really sprawling and overcomplicated. And guess what the fuck? It involves aliens. And well, you know what? This this film franchise doesn't have aliens and if you if you're just gonna introduce aliens willy-nilly you got it you got to do it at a steady drip you can't just say guess what oops all aliens well that's what i'm wondering too because i've heard there's two sides there's the there's the version where it is an alien and there's the version where it's no it's just like a suppressed version of herself so i don't know which is which i don't know which actually is right so the comic version that i know and they may have done one more recently, but the, the Chris Claremont version that I, I have on my shelf that I've read that I know that was adapted to the, to the Fox Kids animated series, um, that one is a cosmic force okay. from, from the stars. Okay. It comes from the stars, it, it possesses Jean Grey, um, and it like obliterates an entire fucking galaxy. Like one it, uh, almost and, amplifies her power or something, right? Yeah, it's a it's a force that's too too big for a human to embody, mm. um, and the Shi'ar Empire is involved. Oh, okay. oh gosh, yeah, we can't people aliens. Yeah, that, we can't. One one of them loves banging Charles Xavier, and sometimes he can walk, sometimes he can't. Sometimes he's lost in the jungle fighting pterodactyl men. Um, 
point is it's all too goddamn much yeah. for a movie yes. especially a movie like this from this era where we're trying to scale things back like we're cutting costs left and right the danger room was built for this film the danger room is not in this film it's not no they built it yeah and other characters were meant to be in this film as well it's, however they they cut them out danger room is in the first scene well it's the first scene of x-men 3 isn't it correct so that's when they actually use it yeah and it's it's barely represented yeah. in that film but the point i'm trying to make is you have the all black leather costuming you're cutting costs you know here and there point is the x the phoenix was not meant for film and and they they went for it and you know Brian Singer, say what you will about him as, you know, a terrible human being or not. I think he had the the correct sense to understand, like, I'm going to set this up. I'm not going to stick around, though. So hopefully they're able to reattach Kyle's penis or whatever, whatever's wrong with him. <laughs> yeah, one of those gremlins got a hold of something and ran off with it. He'll be okay, I'm sure. Oh, yeah, tons of breakthroughs in medical science. You know, he'll be fine. Uh, so X-Mans... Um, <laughs> where do we go from here, Nick? See, filter, pyro, pyro. They introduced pyro. I don't know much about. They did. I don't know much about pyro. I really don't. Um, um, I don't either. Um, although I will throw out there that he is uh in the comics anyway. He's an Aussie, um, which is really funny considering how international um the cast for these X Men films generally are. Like almost everybody is covering an accent. Oh yeah. Um, and but this fellow, as far as I know, is not. Um, although maybe he's British or some shit. No, he's American. <laughs> uh, so no, he's he's speaking plain old boring ass American English. Same with uh, Sean Ashmore, who I think might be Canadian. But um, yeah, Pyro is an Aussie. Um, a lot of times in the comics and in like animation and in video games, uh, he was. Usually, part he was like a key player in the Brotherhood of Mutants, uh, so Magneto's team essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, he worked a lot with uh, the, blob the Blob in particular. <laughs> Nothing moves the Blob, <laughs> um, which is from the arcade game. Um, Pyro is the first boss of that arcade game, by the way. Um, he seems low tier. Yeah, Pyro. I've always thought I've always thought of him as kind of a, a lame ex villain. Like even his costume, it like I don't know if it's changed since the old days, but I always thought he looked kind of fucking dorky. His power is cool, um, but I've never actually seen it implemented like terribly effectively. Like the the thing is, he can he can manipulate flame. Yeah. Like he does have a line in this film that he's incapable of manufacturing flame, which is why he wears flamethrowers on his costume in the comics. Um, but I've never seen like. Okay, so Iceman is something we, we ought to talk about because Bobby's World Bobby's. is is a huge scene, a it huge is. important scene in yes, this movie is. that we really got to dig into. So we'll we'll spin off into that in just one second. But um, by the time you get to the third film, like like Pyro and and Iceman kind of have a relationship in this film where they're they're both kind of friends with Rogue. He's just kind of yeah. hanging out with them. Like he's just he's just I don't even know why they tolerate yeah. him. He seems like kind of a dick. Absolutely. I'm like, why is he here? Who's he friends with? <laughs> Who are you? Really he does they care about him, but he's he's that friend. Yeah. It's like why do I still hang out with John? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um 
but by the time you get to the third movie they do kind of a clunky thing where it's like hey those two characters were kind of friendly in that second movie yeah. and one guy's a fire guy and one guy's a cold guy so we should have them be like rivals and they should clash <laughs> and then it's actually kind of funny i'll give points to that movie the way that 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 battle concludes is how it would go down because Iceman in the comics is unbelievably powerful. Really? Like he is he he's like a top tier fucking mutant. Like the joke about him is that he was always kind of lax when it came to like perfecting his powers, but they use the the terminology omega level mutant, uh, meaning he doesn't have a ceiling for the extent of his ice power. Wow. Basically, he could just cover freeze everything yeah. in existence if he tried hard enough that's pretty crazy um pyro on the other hand yeah, fire. he can he can move fire <laughs> he can't make fire he can move fire that's what I'm saying. it's like he's a lamer human torch and i'm like what yes like i remember having a human torch human torch toy as a child and i'm like i'm like who is this guy this isn't as fun yeah, Pyro is. I don't think he's a compelling character. I'm sure there's comic book people out there who could tell me there's some story arc or yeah, something right. where he yeah. really shines, but I'm not aware of it. However, I will. I don't. I don't think it's a great performance. And to be honest, this this actor, uh, Aaron Stanford, I don't. I've seen him in maybe one other movie, not including the other X Men yeah, film he's in. I've never seen. Um, yeah, he, he. I don't think he made a splash, but um, I will say this much from a utility standpoint: he has to be here. Okay. Um, he's important in that sense because he illustrates the other, the other side of the argument, where it's like Magneto needs to be shown to be somewhat to to, to have a valid perspective, I guess. So it's like we need to have somebody part of the X Men team see his perspective and actually think it's better um so to have a turncoat like that as part of the roster is very important it it from a storytelling standpoint it's got to be there i don't think he's a compelling character but somebody had to do the things that he does in this movie such as lashing out at, at the police and like getting violent with people with like abusing his powers essentially um and then joining magneto at the end yeah, Bobby kind of has shitty parents. Now that I think about it, when, yeah. when they go to this house, I love though when when they go to this house and and uh, Wolverine's just like drinking a beer. <laughs> like who who are you? Uh. <laughs> <laughs> no words. <Yeah. laughs> just uh. But when, when they tell him like, yeah, he's a mutant, and they're just kind of like, oh well, we we thought it was this. We didn't know. It'd be it's so weird. It'd be like, what do you mean you wouldn't say, oh. Well, you know, we still love you. No, it's almost like they're like, oh, well, we didn't know that. Bummer. <laughs> like, I, I don't know. I feel like it, it wasn't like a real parent reaction. I, I hate to say it, but this it probably is somewhat realistic. So folks at home, if you're not aware, when we say Bobby's world, um, there's a sequence that I guess we'll get to in a, in a second here. Well, no, we kind of talked about it with Colossus. There's a big raid on the on the school for gifted youngsters where yes. all the mutants hang out. All of Stryker's men go in there with tranquilizer darts and stuff, and they're they're basically trying to get to the basement so they can steal the Cerebro technology. Um, but in the meantime, they're also you know abducting mutant children so they can experiment on them and stuff. Um, when we 
transition away from that sequence, Wolverine and the X-Kids, the X-Babies, uh, they pile into the Mazda RX-8. Uh, the product placement in this film would drive your brother nuts, uh, who is unfortunately too busy tussling with Gremlins to, to go off on rants about it. But um, Dr. Pepper, uh, Mazda... Uh, Miller Genuine Draft. Mm, Sp- we got delicious product placement. Spider Man well. <laughs> was also Dr. Pepper. I remember that. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Uh, product placement films, folks. If if you're not aware, is something Kyle loves keying in on because it is often hilarious. Uh, Godzilla 1985, also a Dr. Pepper heavy movie. Wow. By the way, they had a Dr. Pepper <laughs> vending machine in the fucking Pentagon in that movie. <laughs> um, but when uh. When they escape from the mansion, when they escape Stryker's men, they go to Iceman's parents' house, and he was sent off to the school, uh, Charles Xavier's School for Gifted Youngsters, um, under the auspices of it being a school for like academically gifted kids, right. not mutants. <laughs> um, so what happens here is they, they show up there, and his parents are like, oh, Bobby. What are you doing? Who's the girl with the long gloves? Who's the guy with the V-shaped why? hairdo? Why is he drinking our beer? <laughs> yeah, why is he helping himself to our beer and threatening our cat? <laughs> um, and we have a sequence here that is very important uh, because uh, we mentioned this uh, last week talking about the first X-Men film. The X-Men have always been kind of a stand-in allegory maybe even more relevant today than ever uh for uh in particular like lgbtq folks mm-hmm. um but also just misfits right misfits, yeah. outcasts in in general just people people on on the periphery um I, but in this film again from from a gay director the sequence has some very blatant parallels to essentially a coming out a conversation between parent and child um and it gets uncomfortable but i i kind of love that the movie allows it to be uncomfortable it's uncomfortable because at the same time it's like would he really be having this conversation with wolverine uh freaking pyro back there <laughs> and then rogue over there wearing her uh his mom's clothes i'm like this conversation would not happen like <laughs> like this yeah, it, it's it is. They do some interesting things with the cinematography here, where there's a lot of wonky angles, like a lot of like tilted angles, and like they even have like a coffee table eye level shot where like the cat gups gets up in the camera, yeah. so it feels it feels off kilter, um, which is appropriate because the conversation is really ugly and really uncomfortable. It is, yeah, and yeah. You got you got the fucking gene model posted up in the door frame. The fucking pyro kit, the literal pyro kit in the background, flicking the thing. Um, it's it's a lot, but there's some choice lines that come out of it that are really great. Mm. Or the they're a little they're they are ham fisted as all get out. Right, like, right, right. Uh, Bobby, could you could you try not being a mutant? That's you know code for could you try not being gay? It's like. Yeah, like I'm sure exactly that phrase has been uttered by parents. I'm sure, yeah, and and yeah. it's it's terrible, but but you know it's I'm glad it's here, uh, especially in retrospect, especially in the year 2003, because these were things that were not uh, not loudly talked about, um, especially at the time, um, and the the X Men, like I said, probably are just as socially relevant uh, as they were like 
through throughout the entirety of their existence even in 2022 like they're they're always going to be important because there are always going to be people well maybe not always but they're you know mostly are going to be people who are on the outside of things they're will, ostracized they're definitely labeled as be. other and different yeah um but yeah the sequence is it's really uncomfortable and i love that his little brother's name ronnie because that's such a good little little twerp he name. is like, a fucking ronnie. he what who does that who goes up he goes upstairs is like i'm just gonna call the cops what what like who is like why would you even go back to this family like they're just they're crappy yeah, like mom, mom and dad seem to be like trying their their best to like be tolerant. Like they're doing a shit ass job of it. But like Ronnie is, he's straight up a bigot. Like like he can't, he just can't handle having a mutant in the house <laughs> to the point that he calls the fucking cops on his own house and very vaguely says, "There's some people here. They won't let us leave." <laughs> it's like it's, it's your, your brother, brother. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> Um, but that sequence escalates like crazily, where like the cops show up and they shoot fucking Wolverine in the. They forehead. just shoot him in the head, <laughs> just like you're dead. Next person, come out. <laughs> like what? <laughs> oh yeah, and then they smash. Yeah, the they glass door. <laughs> that was hilarious because it's it's told like there's no drapes or anything. It's like you can see there are two adults just kind of milling about, like they're not in any danger. The, the cops say, "Open the door." And then it goes. It and cuts back. <laughs> it cuts back to the dad, and dad looks at the mom like, "What did he say?" <laughs> <laughs> you get two seconds, not even a one, two, three. Just open the door, boosh. <laughs> and then yeah, you have to buy a new pane of glass. But yeah, they shoot Wolverine in the head. And my my take on Pyro's reaction to like blowing up all the cop cars was like one. It's an opportunity. opportunity. He's been looking for Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Yeah, he's been it's it's like that guy who you know, I hate to say it, but the open carry guy who it's his time, you know, it's like it's time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm at Walmart, there's a, there's a guy waving a, a hunting rifle that still has the lock on the trigger, but it's time. <laughs> it's, it's time for some collateral damage. No. Um I thought they actually did a good job of like whatever just him i thought he actually did a good job of kind of showing that like it looked like he's like you know what now's the time to start doing it like the line he says is kind of cheesy but i'm like yeah he would most certainly do this at this time i thought it was all pretty well executed because like even the cops are shown to be like they do they do the the work where they don't they don't make monsters out of the police entirely like it's it's they they try to show it with respect where the reason they shoot Wolverine in the fucking face, by the way. Yeah, I know. Probably not where you should be aiming, but okay, that okay, that is that's a knock on the cops in those movies. Like you probably shouldn't be aiming between the eyes. Like center mass, buddy, at the very least. But but um the it, it comes as a reaction of him retracting his claws. And it's a sudden jolting yeah. movement that comes with a crazy sound, the snicked um and it's a reflex you know again trigger discipline probably shouldn't have a finger on that fucking trigger but okay <laughs> but um also pyro may uh, it stands to reason maybe he didn't even know that wolverine could survive that i don't think he did i i don't think he did because he didn't yeah, know him I, at all i wouldn't be surprised if like yeah i wouldn't be surprised he didn't know logan he just showed up like that yeah. day at the school um so it stands to reason he thought he was dead yeah. 
And so his reaction, you know, from his standpoint was warranted. You know, it's like if he sh- if he shot one of us in the fucking face, he could shoot all of us in the fucking face. Now, like just thinking about this movie, there's so many standout moments of it. And I think that's why it I think it's why it's the best. It's just there's so many like the beginning, uh, the attack on the mansion, this scene. Um, my favorite scene is actually the Magneto breakout scene. That's actually yeah. I love that scene. And the ending is good, yeah. and Jean Grey sacrifice like it's all good. All of them are actually like throughout the movie. There's so many good standout moments of this movie. That's actually something I walked away with too in in rewatching this movie. Is that I think that's its biggest strength. Is I I have said this multiple times on the podcast that I I love set pieces, mm-hmm. and this movie doesn't have lengthy set mm-hmm. pieces, but I love when a movie just blocks off five to ten minutes and says we're doing this now indiana jones is getting on that truck and that's all we're doing for the next (laughs) five minutes is he's getting on that truck he's getting under that truck he's getting on the roof of that truck he's throwing dudes off the truck he's doing everything you could conceivably do with a truck Um, i that's my favorite part of of like action cinema in particular it's just like we're not going to be cutting away to conversations we're not going to be checking on what the other MCU people are doing. I don't need to know what goddamn Doctor Strange is doing concurrently with what fucking Thor is doing. Can I just stick, just stick, commit to one guy for five Trevor's minutes, heated. please? Trevor's heated. <laughs> um, but this movie, like, it, it plays beautifully on DVD, where it's like, if you hit, if you watch this movie as a series of like chapter skips, where it's like, you see the cool thing and then you hit the next chapter, there's so many excellent, memorable sequences in yeah, this film. Yeah, there really are. As a, as a whole, the movie does have some liabilities here and there. In particular, I'm not a huge fan of the last act of the mm-hmm. movie. Like, most of the stuff at the dam, at Alkali Lake, I was like... That dam has burst like six different fucking times, guys. <laughs> I, I love the like. I don't know how many times in my notes I have the phrase "dam burst." In particular, I love when Mystique breaks in and Wolverine talking to Stryker and then Jean Grey. So maybe I'm lumping all those together in my alkali, but that those are the parts where I, I remember the most. Well, you you did use the key phrase that I think that's my biggest gripe with the last act of the movie. I do like this yeah. movie quite a lot. And I th- largely it comes on the strength of the first half and just so many awesome sequences. Um, but my, my problem with the last act is, and again, this is what you said earlier, how long it takes for Professor X to kill everyone in the yeah. world. <laughs> he is killing the world for a half he an really hour. He really is, in this yeah. It, it it he is he tries to kill the world two different times and each time it takes about 25 minutes to one i don't up. know how he's killing them but it must be slow and painful not the way i would want to go <laughs> it must really really <laughs> suck <laughs> such that like when you think about where the where the next film goes which is not a very good film but what when you think about like whatever negative reaction to mutant kind comes by the time we get to that third film it's like it's not enough. Yeah. <laughs> it's like we we as a species were dying for a half an hour. <laughs> it's like everyone on the planet was near we're death. Writhing in pain. But but that's you know that's an overreaction, but you know, that that's that movie. But um Magneto's Escape. That is one of my favorite scenes too, just because of very similar to uh, Nightcrawler. 
they really took the time to ask themselves the right questions when it comes to what can Magneto do? It's like they put him in this awesome plastic plastic prison at the end of the first film. That's such a cool idea. And it looks great on film where it's like, hell, that's how you counter the master of magnetism is you deny him any metal. (laughs) (laughs) This puts a whole bunch of phthalates around him so his taint will shrink or some shit. Let's let's flood his chamber with Gundam model kits. <laughs> no, too much interference. <laughs> let's put a whole bunch of warhammers down the t- <laughs> down there. Let's spread Legos on the floor so he steps on them. Oh shit! I stepped on one. <laughs> but um, the escape sequence is uh, it comes in two phases where the way it's set up is Mystique, Rebecca Romaine. I think she was a Stamos at the time. Uh, she, uh, <laughs> she seduces. Drugs. <laughs> yeah, she seduces and drugs. Uh, the security As you guard, would. Uh, yeah. Who, yeah, as you do. Um, who presides over Magneto, uh, Ian McKellen as Magneto, who is even more catty and even more glorious in this movie than he was in the first um, we love what you've done with <laughs> Okay, so question. When she injected that, you said you watched it with your girlfriend, right? Yes. Did she yeah. say anything? Did she say, like, oh, what's that? What's going on? Like, Oh, the girlfriend asks so yeah. many questions. So she's she. Uh, we have a, we have a phrase. She got to know. <laughs> I got to know. She 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 saw the like metallic fluid being put in his butt, and she was like, "What? <laughs> yeah, what is she what doing? Is she? <laughs> Why is she putting things in his yeah. butt?" <laughs> and that's funny because uh, my wife she was watching at the same time, and she's only she's only seen it once. She's like, "What did she just do? What's going on?" And I'm like. This is exactly how I felt the first time I watched this movie. And I love it. I, I love it so much. And I think that's why this is my favorite scene. Well, the, the whole prison break scene itself. But I love it so much. I think it's so cool. Oh, yeah. It's set up beautifully. Where it, I like that it leaves yeah. you hanging there for just a couple just a minutes. Bit. It's not yeah. too long. But, it, but it's just like, why did she do that? Also, that line... Um, ooh, Velcro. <laughs> because he looks like a guy who would have a Velcro zip. Yeah, yeah. Like, that was hilarious. <laughs> but yeah, she injects him with something, and then he goes into his shift to deliver food to Magneto, uh, who then has a smirk on his face after this guy has. Yes, beat him, him aside the face. Yeah. Yeah, uh, that was pretty intense because Ian McKellen's. He's not a physical specimen. He's, you know, an older guy as well. And the sight of him being battered with a baton, a plastic baton, mind you, um, it's pretty intense. Yeah. Um, but uh, the the line, too much. Too I much. I, I will never forget it. First time he said it. I say that all the time for no reason. I say it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I actually got to say that unironically to my mom. Really? <laughs> ah. She actually did have too much iron in her blood. <laughs> but I said it that way, and she's like, "The fuck is wrong with you?" It's like we send you to college, and you do that. <laughs> Damn it! <laughs> What's wrong with your brain? I need somebody here. Somebody. Um, but, <laughs> <laughs> I need a translator. Um, but yeah, it's amazing. Uh, he you levitates the security guard um, with the metal contained yeah. in his bloodstream from the injection, and extracts oh, it through oh. his skin. And that's one thing that like. I don't know if now's the time to get into it, but this movie is 
really brutal. It could have like, been more it's brutal. Not bloody? Yeah, it could have. But like when you actually think about what's happening to yeah. people in this movie, there's some gnarly shit that happens to people. Well, there, there's a scene in in the mansion where Wolverine he cuts somebody. He cuts the gun, and then he cuts somebody. And there's like a little flash. Do you, do you remember what part I'm talking about? There's a flash because he cuts him across, like literally through the face. And I'm like, in my yeah. mind, I know exactly what you've done. You've cut that dude through his head and probably cut it in three separate parts. But you're you're showing it through this weird little flash. I, I don't I don't know how to describe it. But I'm like, they could have gone. I'm glad you brought that. Yeah, up. they could have gone all out. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. No, because uh, the the rule of thumb with Wolverine's claws, at least in the movies anyway, is it they're kind of like lightsabers. Yeah, absolutely. Like they just whatever they, they slice through pretty much anything that isn't adamantium yep. or vibranium or some other equivalent metal. Um, but um, I'm glad you brought up that moment in particular because this movie actually did um, receive an R rating in oh. its initial. Uh, like not public screening, but at, Private at screening, a certain yeah. point in the edit, um, they actually did get an R rating because of that sequence. Are you um, serious? There's numerous. Yeah. Uh, because the scene where Wolverine goes to town on those soldiers, mm-hmm. uh, they had to cut a few frames out of multiple sequences in that where like the first cut that I'm aware of is the first kill when he like, yes, the fridge guy puts all his blades straight into the guy's chest the holes in the fridge when the guy drops that's like like i, I love that like that's that's I'm, an attention to detail that didn't have to be there but it makes it so they much moved the camera so you could see it i actually thought about that too because i loved that part i'm actually surprised we didn't talk about that but when he kills that dude yeah, the, in the fridge and then he turns back to look at Iceman, he's just like cowering in fear it's <laughs> It's like you're right. Well, it's appropriate. He's never seen anybody. He ne- never seen anybody before. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> um, but he's like, "You okay?" <laughs> he's like, "Yeah." <laughs> but uh, that sequence when he stabs him, um, the original cut of it held on it, like like he just screams into his soul and just hangs out there for a second. But they cut away from it very quickly in the finished film, and. That whole sequence of Wolverine slashing people up there, just like you, you gotta tone it down, Dang man. Because when you think about a lot of the violence in this movie, like I said, there is some gnarly fucking shit that happens in this. Case in point, man gets metal metal particles ripped ripped his from his skin. yes his body. <laughs> if you if you think about what that entails, that is terrible. Like that is maybe the most painful way to go. I'll never forget <laughs> it. Never forget it. Love it. Yeah, but he he pulls out these like particles of iron and he makes these three orbs out of it. And just with these three orbs, which by the way, it's kind of like a little bit of a callback to the the momentum or inertia uh, balls that Pendulums, he had on, whatever they're called, floating yeah. above his desk in the first film. Yeah. Um, just with these three balls, he obliterates this plastic prison, yeah. kills everybody in there, and then like flattens one of them out, flattens it out. In, into a saucer a platform yeah it's on it's just like just like nightcrawler it's just a beautiful demonstration yeah. of like oh he can do anything he can do whatever with metal. whatever man he can do anything with metal and th- you know this isn't that like you, if you didn't think magneto was cool well now you know <laughs> well that's the thing too it's, it's like if you think about it these people are mutants right so they're they have something a part of them that's just like completely different they can do things and feel things that are so different. And I always think of it like 
I don't know why this came to my mind. Like when you're pl- like fighting game people where they're just like, all they do is like, they do this, they can do this, they can do this. They can set this up. They know exactly what to do and they can make just like crazy things happen out of just the one thing that they do. It's just like, of course he could do that. It's no, it's nothing to him because he, it's a part of him. It's just, it's just what he does. I think that's just so cool. And uh, that's I think that's why I love the X-Men so much. So many different characters, so many different things that you can do. And then also the, you know, the aspect of like teamwork and using all of them together. Um, I, I really do wish that we had some better X-Men movies because I, I do think it is a great, a great uh, franchise. It's a fantastic property, but I, I agree with you. Um, the movies, if I'm being totally honest, yeah. have never been great. No. Ex- extraordinary. I'm gonna <laughs> That's hate twice. When I do that. You've done that twice want, now. I didn't you want didn't to. have to say that. <laughs> I didn't want to. I hate when I do that. It's always an accident. But like most of the X Men movies are fine. Um, only a couple of them are great. Uh, this is one of them. Um, but unfortunately, yeah, they're kind of like middle of the. They road really are. The There's yeah. just like they have moments. Yes. Like in particular, the Quicksilver sequence yep. in uh, both Days of Future Past and Apocalypse. Cool moments. In in Apocalypse's case, I think a very bad film. Um, Days of Future Past is good um, for the most part, um, but yeah, it, there's just something like there's an element of jank or something that comes with a lot of them. That's just like it doesn't feel like we're going all out. Like there's just something missing. There's a lack of energy no. or creativity. No, I agree. Isn't isn't on par with a lot of the superhero movies that were contemporary to them, um, which is unfortunate. But like. As we both said, the X Men property is is it's excellent. It really, it's it's fantastic. Like like it, I think one of the most important things that makes them so endearing is they're superheroes who nobody asked for and nobody cheers for them. I guess yeah. It's like they just do, they just do it because it's the right thing to do, and they're they're not meant to be like popular mainstream characters. Like the mutants, as a minority group. Like, at least in the comics I've read, it, it feels like they're never meant to fully win, I guess. Like, they're always supposed to be kind of on the outside of things. And in fact, I haven't read them, but I've, I've listened to reviews of them. Like, I think the contemporary X-Men comics, they, they founded a nation for themselves. And they just kind of, like, live on a mutant island over there. <laughs> Even more separated. kind of gave up. <laughs> it's like, it, we're never going to be welcome, so we're not going to try anymore. And that's probably absolutely what would happen. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately. But but I always thought that was compelling. That's like, they are superheroes. They do wear the gaudy costumes, but nobody claps for them. Like, Captain America shows up, everybody's happy. But, like, Cyclops shows up, it's like, ugh. <laughs> it's like, it's... No, no, you're right. They're, like... Even though in the in the comics they are the next step of evolution, they're helping the ones that are behind them. And nobody's like, oh, yay, X-Men. No, you're, I think you're absolutely right. Yeah, and I've always said that uh, Patrick Stewart and Ian McKellen, uh, Professor X and Magneto in these films, like th- the films that do not have them suffer because of it, because their relationship, they really, their yeah. dynamic. and. That's also why I like first class is they they get the relationship where it's like they're they're two sides of the same coin. They they disagree on fundamental levels, but they are fighting the same fight just in different ways. Um, that's always going to be compelling. But um, enough talking about uh, 
depthful things that have meaning and consequence. <laughs> Let's talk about some punching. Uh, so uh, the uh, Alkali Lake uh, sequence that occupies basically the last third of the movie, essentially. Um, we get that cool entry where Mystique, Mystique gets yeah. to do some of her stripper food. Get the middle finger fighting. off, yeah. Yeah, the slide out the door with the middle finger is classic. Uh, it's a staple of Mystique's repertoire. But um, the, the sequence I wanted to highlight for you know selfish reasons is uh, Lady Deathstrike. Oh, uh, yeah. So this would be Kelly Hu, uh, who is teased throughout the entire film as... Uh, you, do you watch The Simpsons at all, Nick? Have you watched The Simpsons? I actually have not watched a single episode of The Simpsons. Okay. Well, you and your brother, I guess, share that. Because Kyle's, yeah. Kyle's not well-versed. Futurama? In the yes. He's also busy. But Simpsons, no. Yeah, yeah, very good show. Very good show. Um, but Simpsons, I was raised on The Simpsons. I was raised on the dairy. That's a lie. I'm lactose intolerant. But um, uh, The Simpsons uh, has the sequence where uh, the, I, I think it's supposed to be the Yakuza. Uh, are doing battle with the Italian mafia on the on the front lawn of the Simpsons. That sounds hilarious. And, <laughs> and Homer points out that there's a little guy in the back with his arms folded, and he's like, "Oh, you know the little guy's gonna do something cool because they're pulling him away from the fighting, and everybody else is doing stuff. Everybody else is busting out their fighting moves, but there's this one little guy in the back. He's just watching." And then they pull Homer away, and he's like, oh, but you know the little guy's going to do something cool. And then as soon as the door shuts behind him, you just hear this exaggerated, and he's like, see, you see what I missed? And that's kind of what they do with Lady Deathstrike. She's the little guy in the background who hasn't, who doesn't move for two hours, and then finally she does something. And I'm curious, what, what did you feel about it? Because like I said, they... They tease her cracking her knuckles. They show that she can take Cyclops' optic blast and get up from it without flinching. She knocks him out with one blow. Uh, she's an intimidating presence, but she doesn't do shit until this one scene. Here's the deal. I don't know anything about Lady Deathstrike at all. I, I know nothing. And when this movie came out and I watched it, I didn't know it was Lady Deathstrike. Because I didn't stick around and be like, oh, who is this? I don't think they ever say. They never say this is who this is. It, it, it's just lady with nails. And it wasn't until later I played more, like, I think it was games. And I'm like, wait, is that who that's supposed to be? And so it, that's where I'm kind of like, from a movie standpoint, the fight was fun. I enjoyed the fight. I really enjoyed like the like some of the camera work they did. I'm like, oh, wow, that's awesome. But I could see... I'm like, in my mind, I'm thinking, I could see where somebody who likes this character would be upset. And uh, so that, that, I don't know. I, that's, from a movie standpoint, I enjoyed it. I'm like, oh, because, you know, she did some stuff. She did knock out Cyclops, which is nice. But, yeah, this, this was her time to shine. And she, she did. She died. But, I didn't, like I said, I didn't even know it was her. I didn't know it was Lady Deathstrike. Well, as tends to be the case with these movie adaptations of comic, you know, materials, um, she's also kind of a fabricated character. So, ah. as, like I said, William Stryker in this film is he bears a resemblance to many other characters. He does use the name of an actual character, but he is not any of those characters. He's a right. hodgepodge of all of them. Uh, in her case, it's mostly an in-name only thing. Uh, Asian woman with 
long nails like right that's kind of the extent of the resemblance she bears to the character um she is named in the film they call her yuriko uh, which is the character's actual name oh. aside from lady death okay. strike uh, however in the comics and she actually was in the cartoon uh, if memory serves it was one of the last episodes of that cartoon i remember watching uh, because i was watching it as it was airing um not in reruns uh it was like the halloween special or something where there was like this uh green spectral alien creature in like a subway or something and uh she was introduced in that episode if memory serves but um lady deathstrike in the comics is not a mutant uh she's kind of like a cyborg almost okay she aug she augments her physiology to to have the crazy claws and stuff um so she's not a mutant she i i think she might have she may not have a healing factor i'm not actually positive on that but point is she's not a mutant um and she has one line of dialogue in this movie it's a good one what are you doing here that's her <laughs> only line yeah she she has less lines than darth maul <laughs> <laughs> ray park got more dialogue than kelly who uh kelly who's great by the way i only uh, i the only other thing i know her in is a scorpion king she was i think she was on martial law which is an underappreciated piece of television which had a crossover with walker texas ranger if memory serves which i know was a big hit in the nick walker, and, texas and kyle ranger. household yeah a grandparents house the sure. of texas ranger <laughs> are upon you <laughs> oh man i i yeah, yeah you're right that the only part where she talks is the basura basura Trash. Yeah, basura. <laughs> <laughs> Trash. <laughs> like you. <laughs> um, yeah, I I thought this was a fun fight sequence. Yeah. Um, it was kind of mandatory in the year 2003 to have some sort of wire festival of martial well, arts. Well, I feel like you could tell in the fight, too, when I was watching it. Like, you can tell that Wolverine is a brawler. He's not fancy. He's, I'm just going to punch you in the face or I'm going to cut you whatever. Where she's more like, I'm going to be over here. Oh, wait, I'm over here. Well, I'm blocking. Wolverine's like, what's blocking? <laughs> <laughs> well, think about it. He has a healing. Right, yeah. Does he, he doesn't need, need to, to block? He's just, I'm going to brood it and I'm going to cut you. But I, I thought you could tell the difference in their fighting styles within the fight. And the, the uh, I don't know if you liked it, but the camera, the first time they like, like charge at each other, I'm like, oh, like that's the first time they actually pull out that kind of camera work, I think, in this film. Well, I I thought the a lot of the gags in this one, a lot of the the wrecks that people have, a lot of the stunt team, like they they put in work, like they they made they, the hits in this fight have a lot of impact, yeah. um, which in this era not everything did, because even even the Matrix as fluid as some of the action is, I think some of the sound design robs some of like some of the crunch factor of some of the punches where it's like it there's a there's an overemphasis on speed over impact in the matrix films where it's it's a lot of whoop, 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 yes whoop, yes it is as opposed to like whoop, as opposed to like indiana jones <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah but douche where it's like you just got hit with a bazooka fist basically <laughs> uh, but this this sequence and and the first x-men film both have it's a pretty solid impact like the first hit that she lands on him that backhand and like the palm yeah. strike that knocks him across the room you feel yeah. it like especially with I, I have a sound bar i don't have like a surround sound system but it's like oh <laughs> like, I, I felt that um and they do a, like again i i 
I really like when they do this in superhero films where they respect the power set, where they take a look at the resources they have. It's like we have two people who can afford to get stabbed and and plow through it, essentially. And like Nick was saying about Wolverine's style, he's just swinging with reckless abandon because every time he gets hit by her, he, she, he gets slashed across the face. And if he didn't have that adamantium skeleton, it would go through his brain. He, he is... But, Berserker barraging all over the place. <laughs> yeah, and and his reaction, like when we get these facial close-ups, is more just like, mm, well, that didn't yeah. work out. Let's try again. It, it's not like he's in agony. It's just like, mm, <laughs> it's like I'm gonna get you eventually. And then there's that beat where he does get her, and it's like, ah, oh, fuck, she can heal. You. <laughs> it's like, damn it, that's not gonna work. And I like the escalation where they they it starts out she's kind of in charge. I love that that whirlwind move that she does. Where it, that's a gag that they actually do pretty much the same move with uh, Halle Berry yes. in the third yep. film, and it looks like ass. it does. It looks terrible. It looks like Jet Li and Romeo Must Die, where it looks like he's literally hanging from a swing set, and they're just like <laughs> yanking him around the set. Uh, it looks terrible. They do pretty much the same thing in this film. But combination of Kelly Hu actually having legit martial arts background. Oh, I didn't know that. Um, and and doing just fine with the wire rig or, or whoever it is who is her stunt double. Something about the motion and the way it's shot and edited, it looks a million times better. And it, it lends impact to that sequence when she gets him in the face. Yeah. Um, and I like when they, they go toe-to-toe and then she gets the upper hand and there's that gnarly sequence where she's underneath him yes. stabbing him in the, <laughs> the back. shank yeah it's like, jesus christ like this this is pg-13 <laughs> <laughs> there i was actually and this is gonna be so bad i was watching this with my four-year-old oh she God. woke up out of her nap parenting she woke up out of her nap early and we're like hey we're not changing the movie so if this scares you go back to your room you know kind of like yeah. And then we're like, oh, some of these scenes aren't too great. So we like had a blanket there. We'd just be like, don't watch this. <laughs> and this is one of those parts. This and she got freaked out at the fire part earlier with Pyro. So, but other than that, she she understands. She can tell like what's fake and what's not, which is helpful. That's cool. So, uh, no, that part. Um, and I don't know about you, but I actually felt like sad for her when she actually does yes. die. Yes. And I'm just like, damn, it's just like she was just used as a pawn. Like she, it almost looked like in the movie, she's almost presented as nobody special. She was just used as a pawn in Stryker's game, which makes it all the more sad. Yeah, I, I listened to the commentary for the film and they pointed out exactly what you're talking about. That's like she could have been literally anything. Yeah. Like she could have been a housewife that they abducted and grafted adamantium yeah. to her and somehow modified her to have healing factor or something. Um, we never know who she is and we never will because she's dead. Um, and yeah, just, just through, I don't know, facial acting, yes. we, we do, we do sympathize with her because a lot of it's aided by, um, so we haven't really talked about much, uh, folks, but, um, a huge plot device in the film is that, uh, mutant one, four, three, uh, William Stryker's son, Jason. Jason. Yes. Uh, we didn't even talk about Jason. Yeah. The power to, I think if memory serves, uh, 
Jason is a totally different character in the comics, but there are other mutant characters in the comics. Um, I think uh, Mastermind is like one of the more prominent ones who has the power to project to project uh, illusions into people's minds, like change their perception of reality. So Stryker uses his son uh, to manipulate Professor X into trying to kill the world multiple times. Um, but in addition to that, they're like draining spinal fluid from his son which is really That's fucked up. Up. and they use it as a serum on the back of mutants necks uh, to temporarily control them and it works on everybody but apparently professor x who's the the plot the narrative right right off is that he's too powerful it's like well magneto's pretty fucking powerful too guys <laughs> like but um the idea is if they put this fluid on you they can control you and so they they got nightcrawler to do their bidding and that's how we got that opening sequence uh, which triggers the president to take action against mutant kind because you know he almost got stabbed to death um and a lot of people got assaulted in the fucking white house um but in addition to that we also have a mind-controlled uh, cyclops but most prominently lady deathstrike who again has one line in the film uh, is shown to be totally under mind control at one point she almost comes out of it and they yeah. dose her again just in time. <laughs> but there's actually like a visual cue that they're under mind control uh, in that their iris is turned blue, uh, which is a nice touch because Kelly Hu most certainly does not have blue eyes. Um, so when when it reverts to her natural brown and she has that like really pathetic, sad expression on her face as she's dying, it's like, oh, yeah. she wasn't even in control of her own actions that whole, whole time, time and now she's dead. And speaking of gnarly, violent things in this movie, the way she goes, fuck, dude. I'm telling you, they <laughs> make they even show like Wolverine is like, oh shit, like, like yeah, he he doesn't look. Yeah, happy. he's not happy. He, he like he stabs her like I gotta do what I gotta do, but when he pulls it out, he's like, okay, all right, like you can tell, and I think that's just I I don't know. This movie has some special. It's got some special magic to it. That just the others don't seem to carry forward, and I don't know. I'm curious to see what you guys think going forward. But th- this this fight in particular, I was like, dang man, that was that was rough. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, it, it's an exceptionally brutal sequence, and a you know, a, in a series that generally veers more towards fun as it gets into its later stages. So, are there any other standout sequences that you want to highlight here? Looking back, I, I mean, I, I know we kind of glossed over the plot of the film because, you know, we missed the whole, like, it's not really my control, but the fluid used on the back of their necks and all that and the plot. But I really think that this one did have something special to it that the others just didn't have. I don't know what it is. You know, I don't know if it just hit me at the right time, but this one, I... I can remember so many scenes, so many lines out of this one. And we skipped over a lot. But I think those listening to this episode will, will they'll obviously know this movie and know that we both appreciate it as probably one of the best, if not the best, X-Men movie out there. Yeah, that's my hope. Because I, I did do research. I did listen to the commentary. Um, I did look into some of the behind-the-scenes details. There weren't any, like, tidbits that were, like, a joy to learn about like it was all just kind of like i think i know how they did that and then sure enough you look it up and it's like yeah i'm right yeah <laughs> like like the nightcrawler sequence it's like they yeah they they had guys on wire rigs they built 
This movie had a shit ton of sets built for it, by the way. Um, I think I the, believe the it. Last yeah. Name of the fellas. Uh, the last name of the fellow who designed them is a uh, Dias, I think. Um, he also worked on some Christopher Nolan movies, in particular Inception. He does good work. Uh, really handsome sets in this movie, and most of it was shot on sets. Um, but yeah, basically they filmed the sequence twice: once with a stunt performer, and once without, and kind of like match the footage and put the the bamf effect over everything it works out beautifully but um i guess one thing i wanted to like just pick your brain about was a uh, gene gray at the finale of the movie because we did we did talk about phoenix and uh this is where the phoenix kind of emerges so gene's been having these episodes throughout the film where she's shown to be more powerful than she is used to being Um, But also she seems to be having a lack of control over said power. Mm -hmm. Like she, like at one point at the very beginning of the movie, Cyclops points out that's like, you had a nightmare and shook the house. Uh, Maybe look into that. (laughs) (laughs) Like do some of that therapy shit or something. Betterhelp.com. Look into it. (laughs) Um, But um, by the time we get to the end of the film, the girlfriend was, and I, like I said, I did try to explain the, the comics version of the Phoenix to her, to no avail. Um, but when that sequence came up, the girlfriend's question was, why is she doing this? And even the characters, I was actually surprised. The movie was asking itself the right questions, where after she bites the dust, all the other characters are asking, why did she do that? Like, why couldn't she be on the plane? Because, like, any, any will actually, you know, keyboard warrior out there would have that thought like yeah all the things she did why couldn't she just do it from the play yeah you're right no <laughs> like what what was your take on the whole end of the movie so in the moment in the theaters i can tell you i wasn't thinking about that i was thinking like like oh wow she's doing this and that but you're right when you think about it after the fact she's controlling the steering wheel she's got the the ramp loaded up she's got the water she's got the ship going up like she's controlling so many things well why couldn't you do that then and i guess they don't say it but in the movie i'm assuming she wanted to like she just wanted to go yeah like that that was it i don't know why but like for whatever reason she's like this is the way it's got to go i need to go maybe she knew deep down I, I don't know maybe it had something to do with her not being able to control her powers and she's like i feel like this is what i need to do um curious what you think though what did you think about the cyclops and and wolverine reaction reaction to it oh they uh dialed it up to 11 and that's what i'm saying i'm like what this has no business being like this impactful like this is a sequel to an x they did some of that acting shit they did and i'm like this is actually good (laughs) yeah it was it is it is emotionally affecting um the whole sequence i think just really works um I, I have a take on, on why everything played out the way it did, but some of it plays into the third film, which right. leads to disappointment. But um, like Nick said, like the number of plates she's spinning during this yes. sequence is staggering, where it's like she's parting the sea, <laughs> like an entire lake is falling on her. And we do have a, a religious bent in the background of this movie with Nightcrawler yeah, talking yeah. of faith. Yep. And, and it does get brought up more than once where he has to, he and Storm both have to lean on fate so Halle Berry can collect her paycheck and get on the poster <laughs> um, to get through a door, which is really lame. Yeah. Cold. It's cold now. 
<laughs> I need to get in there and make it cold. I need to adjust the AC <laughs> uh, to save the day. Jesus. Um, but uh, yeah, so she's she's parting the sea. She's lifting the Blackbird, operating the Blackbird because the engines are running. Yeah. Like, um, and she's also uh, suppressing <gasps> Nightcrawler's ability to teleport. Oh my gosh, I forgot about that. And, and she's also psionically projecting into Professor, Professor X's X, yep. mind and speaking through him whilst holding back the sea. Yeah. Um, full on. That that moment I'm sure I'm sure there's a you know a demographic out there that would, you know, roll their eyes at this and be made very uncomfortable at the sight of a Patrick Stewart speaking lovingly towards James Marsden in his Cyclops visor. <laughs> but I thought it really worked. Just be what worked for me was james marsden's acting yeah because he no. has the hardest fucking job in the world he's denied his eyes but just through his face and body language and tone in particular his line delivery hey you you get it you feel you feel the pain that's when you know you're sucked into a movie when you can you can watch a man where he says cyclops visor speak through patrick stewart when you're not actually talking to patrick stewart you're talking to somebody else entirely Love is li- the love of his life over there. Yeah, it's like if you can buy that when you're watching this movie, the actors have done their job. Oh, they got you. They got you. Yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, that scene after the the water washes over her and James Marsden throws a fit, and just his his sinus acting, his teeth acting. It's yeah. And and Wolverine, the repetition of she's gone. She's gone. She's gone. You go. It just degenerates into just caveman noises. Which, but his face, his eyes, he he's he's selling it. He's selling the fuck out of it. I, I honestly think it's even sadder on another level because he knew deep down yeah. he would never be with her. Like he was never gonna be with her. So it's just like he's sad at this. Like he's sad at the fact that it's never even gonna be an option. It'll never ever happen which is just like a whole nother levels but i don't know maybe we're looking at it too deep but i i really do think that this this movie is it, it's just like i don't know why leaps and bounds above the others i think so like i i think the first film is fine yeah but i think this one one ups it considerably and pairs with it really really nicely yeah. because a lot of these performances a lot of these characterizations would not be as yes they would not have as much heft to them. it builds on it for uh, sure if yeah. not for the two hours we had to spend with these characters and these performers earlier um but yeah my take on like her allowing herself to go out like that she she does have lines earlier in the film that she thinks something terrible is going to happen right and i think you 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 hit the nail on the head when you said like she she felt she needed to remove herself from the board because it's hinted that it's like in this moment she's all powerful she's doing all these incredible things but we saw her when she was trying to handle those missiles it didn't work out all the way through it worked out for a while but there's a chance it could go wrong and by the end of this movie all the the laundry list of things i said she was doing if you can do all that and you can also fuck all of that up all at once, that's a lot of pressure to put on a person. Yep, so absolutely. I think she was afraid of her own capabilities and decided, uh, no, 
uh, this this is too much for any any one person to to bear yep um only problem with that because it works very well in this film only problem with that is that we get a next film <sighs> that doesn't respect anything that i just said <laughs> 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 tosses it all out the window and uh, takes a big steaming Brett Ratner <laughs> shit all over it. Oh man. Brett Ratner without Jackie Chan is oh, not man. really worth your time. <laughs> and even then, two out of those three movies are okay. The first the first and second are good. Third one, no. Third one was one of the most lame theater experiences I've ever had. <laughs> yeah. I mean, comparable to Spider Man three for sure. Hey, hey, hey! Let's not let's not speak out of school. <laughs> Spider Man Three is all right. <laughs> it's not terrible. It's not it's not Rush Hour Three. God, <laughs> come on! Where Sue Young goes evil. <laughs> uh, I'm, we will do Spider Man someday, Nick. Um, although that is a that has become a insane can of worms uh, because if we're if we're talking masterclass, we got. Sam Raimi Spider Man, uh, we got fucking Andrew Garfield Spider Man, we, uh, we got fucking Tom Holland Spider Man, the, the Avengers, with yeah, the... we got Spider Verse Spider Man. Oh yeah, yeah. We, we, there are too many goddamn Spider Men. Um, Let alone the games, man. You got games many. on them. Like, there's so much. And like I said, we're only doing the first four X Men films this this entire calendar year. Oh. Um, I hope to eventually get to all of them, um, although this could turn into a massive problem, being as the X-Men are now back at the mouse, the House of Mouse, um, and they are looming on the horizon. There will, there will be X-Men content. There will be new X-Men films very shortly, and it's about to get loud. It's about to get complicated. Well, the last one was the New Mutants, right? Was that through Disney, or was that the last F? Like, was that the last actually? Um... That is technically a Fox was production. Was it okay? Um, so, so that is from the old guard. Um, but that movie had a troubled production oh, history, yeah. and it didn't come out until the Disney era. Um, but it was actually made by the Fox okay. production house. All right. So that does fit into like what we're talking about, but I don't know if we're gonna get into MCU Marvel, uh, like Marvel X Men stuff whenever it comes. But for now, X Men through X Men Origins Wolverine. That's all we're doing this year. <laughs> um, and I'm, I'm sure Kyle will still be doing battle with Mogwai and Gremlins. How? Uh, yeah. Come next I don't week know. Week beyond. I don't know how he's gonna overcome these Gremlins and do X Men Three and origins like there's well he's got to find he's got to find the electric potion to feed to one of the gramlins and then he's got to get a fire hose so he can wet all the gramlins and then uh put the electric gramlin on call waiting and then uh hit the call button so he can shoot the electric gramlin onto the wet gramlins and kill all the gramlins whilst also multiplying the gramlins. that's too much for it's very complicated that's too much for kyle to do he's got a lot on his plate that's all too altogether too many gramlins <laughs> <laughs> but you know you decide to have kfc past midnight with your mogwai buddy in the hot your tub, body's done and yeah guess guess what you got a bunch of gramlins yeah <laughs> uh, so we're rooting for you pal i know it's rough out positive there. energy call Zach Galligan. <laughs> Yeah, I'm pretty sure Zach Galligan's not too busy. He's probably got some tips for you. He survived two, at least two gremlin attacks. I think he can survive a third. 
Um, but anyway, uh, this uh, conversation has gone thoroughly off the rails. So uh, I think I'm going to call a halt uh, to the X2 colon X-Men United from the year 2003, directed by Brian Singer. Talk! Uh, so thus concludes this chapter of the X-Men Masterclass here at Catching Up on Cinema. But um, Nick, thank you so much for joining me today. Absolutely. It's been a blast. Yeah, uh, excited to have you back whenever you're willing to come back. Uh, so be sure to hit me up if you have any ideas for future episodes that you really, really got to be on, aside from the Spider-Mans, which, as I said, we will do, and you most certainly will be invited. Um, but yeah, uh, thanks again, as always. Really appreciate the help. Um, but anyway, uh, as I said, uh, this is the X-Men Masterclass, so we'll continue things next week with our review of Brett fucking Ratner's uh, X-Men colon The Last Stand uh, from whatever the fuck year. I don't, I can't be bothered to look it up right now. Just, it's, it's that kind of movie, folks. I'm sorry. Um but in the meantime, folks at home, if you'd like to uh, catch up on any of our Catching Up on Cinema content, you can find all of that collected on our website at catchinguponcinema.com. Uh, you can also find us on the social medias at Catching Up on Cinema uh, on uh, Instagram, as well as uh, the Twitter at Catching Cinema. So feel free to hit me up at either of those. Uh, and the podcast is available on pretty much every platform you can imagine, including Bitcade. So fucking Google it. That being said, thank you so much for listening, and we will catch you next time. Liquid!